Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business news podcast from Business in Vancouver newspaper and BIV.com. I'm Tyler Orton. So on today's show, we're going to be talking about whether or not retail is really dead. It's a question that a lot of people are asking as we see the rise of e-commerce and how it's shaking things up. Now, we have a great discussion going on with that with Ray Wong. He's vice president at Altus Group, which is a focus on real estate services and software. And later on, Mina Van, the executive director of Chinatown House, she joins us to discuss the upcoming launch of the Community Digital Lab at Chinatown House, of course. It's going to be, I guess, a bit of an inspiration for a lot of young people that are looking to get into the tech sector here in the city. But first, let's go ahead and speak to Ray Wong. So is retail dead? It's one of the questions often asked as we see e-commerce shake up everything from box stores to mom and pop shops. Our next guest, however, has some thoughts that may go against the grain of common perceptions that are out there. I'd like to welcome Ray Wong. He's vice president of data operations and data solutions at commercial real estate services and software company Altus Group. Ray, thanks for joining us on the show. Well, thanks for having us, Tyler. So you guys have a new blog post up right now, and one of the headlines there, it says, you know, retail is not dead, it's evolving. So I want to start with this. How is retail evolving right now? Well, retail is evolving based on the changing demographics um, and uh, based on how consumers want to shop um, online and compare to to shopping and um, how they want um, their 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 products and plus how they want to be able to purchase and uh, look and uh, review the product before the actual purchase. So one of the things that I'm curious about though is just how say shopping centers are changing quite a bit. Can you give me some insights there? I, I mean, are we finding ways to maybe drive traffic in unique and innovative ways that just didn't exist maybe 10 years ago? Absolutely, you've you've always had this 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 partnership between uh, landlords and tenants, and because of this rapidly changing um, uh, consumer um, um, sort of um, habits or um, what what the needs are, you have more of a, a partnership how the, the the tenants and landlords interact. So from there, you're seeing how retail malls are. Are uh, are changing, um, uh, and, and both the, the the tenants and the landlords want to be able to draw consumers in um, as, as a destination uh, location. So they're bringing in uh, food halls um, uh, for for people to um, uh, collaborate, get together, and uh, um, to spend some time with with each other, as, as well as the type of stores, um, uh, what they're offering now with more of experience, understanding the the product better. So it's not just on display, but ability to bring um, people into the stores to actually look and experience the actual product. Well, you say that, and I think about the Best Buy that's just around the corner from our newsroom here, and I've walked in it multiple times, and they've changed it up in the last few years. I I walk in, and now there's these huge displays for, say, AR, VR, a lot of that interactive stuff, and I just see, like, say, students, young people hanging out, checking out this technology in ways that I didn't see before. Is this 
becoming more of a, a common thing amongst all retailers. Well, definitely. And it's not just, it's what I've been finding with um, with um, places like Best Buy and other retailers is that they're almost changing on a weekly, on a monthly basis, depend, depending on what they see that the needs are. And definitely with, with, um, with uh, virtual reality, it's a, it's a main draw because it's, it's new and it's something different and uh, people can actually experience in, in the store. So they're not just going in the store to look at packages, but they actually can feel the product, use it, and and um, have it um, sort of um, as as a demonstration in front of them. So it's more of that touch and feel. And what we're also seeing is, is that uh, both the landlords and tenants are – are accumulating a lot more data on uh, on on the customers, where they're where they're coming from, uh, what neighborhoods, um, wh- what sort of piques their their interest with with products, with that, that type of information. They're they're tailoring their stores to to be able to tweak um, people's interest to come in the stores, and that and that's as well as. The displays up front. You mentioned virtual reality, but if there's a certain type of product that is very active, that based on social media that, that people are interested in, they'll put that at the front of the store to be able to draw people in um, to look at that product and hopefully other products while they're in the store as well. Yeah, you mentioned the touch and feel aspect of it, and I just feel, and you know, I observe this with other people though. But as much as we can go and maybe jump on Amazon and buy some items there, I think that there is a strong urge for people to actually pick up the products, examine them. This maybe goes a lot for, say, clothing as well. But is this one of the, I guess, advantages that the incumbent retailers have over e-commerce, which is really shaking things up? Yes, and absolutely. So what um, what 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 consumers are spending a lot of time doing is that Amazon makes it and other retailers makes it easy to compare the various products and especially prices, right? But not be able to experience the store. So what retailers are are, are doing with their own stores is that they're they're having more sort of showroom space, less um, warehouse or less storage space in the back and moving that to um to the industrial building and warehouse, and using maximizing their space so that uh, consumers can come in and um, be able to look at the product, may not buy the product there, and as long as they can be able to, to experience and com- compare different items, and then either they will shop online or they would order from the store or pick it up from there, or go home and, and do a little bit more research before actually buying the actual product. So you have to give consumers choices now on how they want to purchase, how they want to see the product, and as well as uh, when they actually want to make that that decision. And it's really 24-7 now for retailers. Okay. And so not to keep going back to the title of the blog post, but it says, you know, retail's not dead. It's just evolving. But we have seen some yeah. demises within retail in Canada. I'm thinking maybe Sears and, and Target's. Uh, what? To, to what degree is that maybe hurting, say, some of those shopping centers that relied on those anchor tenants to, say, drive traffic? Are they effectively being able to accommodate maybe some of the big changes that we have seen recently? Well, from from a trend standpoint, all a lot of retailers are um, are getting smaller, not just the ones that you just mentioned. 
and be able to utilize their space and, and then to augment the strategy with their e-commerce. E so, and what we're also seeing is, is a lot of new type of um, stores pop up um, that used to be just online that are, are now going to, to, to the brick and mortar um, stores and, and to the shopping centers. So there's a lot more sort of diversity in type of stores. So the, 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 the larger stores are, are they, they, there's still a, a need and purpose for them, and and um, it, depending on how quickly they adapt and change to attract the, the consumers, but definitely with uh, with Sears um, um, and Sears spaces and, and Target stores that they've they've uh, most have adapted to either break it up into uh, smaller um, chunks for retail uses, but as well as alternative uses, such as co-working space or uh, community space or medical space to provide additional services for, for consumers to come into um, into, re in, into the retail centers. And if you look at some of the the, the changes that we're, we're seeing with some of the shopping centers, they're they're also adding a residential condominium component of it. So it's no longer just your um, retail malls, but they're adding complementary um, uses within within the property. One to draw traffic into the stores, as well as provide a little bit more accessibility for 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 people that are living nearby. So it's a real changing dynamic with respect to um, to um, retail centers. Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up. I'm just speaking from my own personal experience. Uh, in my neighborhood, we've had uh, two condo towers go up in just the last year. And uh, within them, they have retail at the bottom, even like a grocery store is going into one of them. So it is very interesting that they're making it more of that kind of community feel, almost kind of a small town where maybe you don't have to drive, you know, out uh, into the edge of the city to do all of your shopping. That's exactly where we're seeing a lot of the trends that that um, before you would just have sort of neighborhoods with residential, but now you're seeing the. I think the key word there is 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 community. That is not only um, um, they're not living just living with within that that area, but they want to interact more with. Um, their neighbors, they, they they want to be able to walk to to a restaurant. They want to be uh, to have a convenient um, a grocery store near nearby. So it's 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 a little bit more um, self-enclosed with offering various services within either a short drive or walking distance or public transit with within with respect to all their amenities within a certain area. So one of the other things that we have seen shaking things up as well is maybe the rise of those customer fulfillment centers. Um, tell me a little bit about how retailers are adapting to, I guess, changing expectations amongst consumers. It's, it's giving more choices to to consumers because what we're finding is that everyone's very busy right now with the trying to balance between work, home, and um, and their families. So the fulfillment centers are offering another way to shop, be able to order online and to um, to um, deliver to their homes. And the fulfillment centers, again, because of where they're located in their industrial buildings, they can offer um, it's a lot more cost efficient, as well as from a, from a people standpoint as well, because some of the new uh, fulfillment centers are between 800 and um, 
uh, a million square feet, or sorry, 800,000 uh, to um, to a million square feet, and they employ up to about 800 to about 1,000 employees and be able to process the orders in a, in a timely and a very efficient manner to get out to the consumers. It's a little bit more difficult for a retail store to be able to match that type of efficiency. So it gives the choice to the retail to the consumer, they can shop within the store if it's convenient, or they can have it delivered overnight or same day. And as well as, if you look at um, the actual um, the um, delivery services right now, there's Uber provides a delivery service, and other ones are are popping up, offering same day or or within an hour delivery of some of the, the, the food and uh, grocery, as well as uh, regular retail items. So just as we kind of conclude here, I, I think it's accurate to say that people kind of like going to retail locations. Like I, I just can't imagine a future where everybody's just awaiting for you know drones to deliver all of their stuff that they bought online. It is kind of a, an experience that people actually do appreciate, right? Well, it's it, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's it's. I think it's everything. I think there's there's going to be a place for for drones, and we're seeing a lot more um, sort of um, pilot projects with product delivery um, and other services. And the, the, for the retail brick and mortars, I, I agree with you that there's always will be a place for people that want to be able to to socialize, um, look at products, and and. Basically, things that you can't do online um, with uh, with with retail. So I think the the retail shopping centers will continue to evolve, and they will be, and it'll be a quicker change. It won't be a matter of of years; it'll be a matter of months and days. And that's the only way for retailers to stay competitive and be able to service the retailers. I'm sorry, uh, service their their customers by evolving, changing, and meeting their their uh, their needs. Well, Ray, that was a great conversation. I want to thank you so much for joining us on the program today. Well, th- thank you for the opportunity. That's Ray Wong, Vice President of Data Operations, Data Solutions at the Altus Group. And stay with us, Mina Van, Executive Director of Chinatown House. She's joining us next to talk about the launch of its new community digital lab. We're going to get more technology going in in that neighborhood. It's going to be interesting. Stay with us. So this summer, Microsoft and the Vancouver Computer Graphics Society is helping to facilitate a new community digital lab at Chinatown House. And with us today to talk about what this means for maybe inspiring the next generation of the city's tech workers, it's Mina Van. She's executive director at Chinatown House. Mina, thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks for having me. Okay, so maybe let's start off with this. What is a community digital lab? So it's for us, it's a new way of learning, um, taking the kids, the youth, the um, adult mentors, putting them together to work on projects, um, just learning new ways to use tools and um, expressing themselves in new ways, you know, through things like 3D, uh, VR, mixed reality. Um, so we're not confining people to a certain tools, um, but more of an exploration of all tools. So those seem like kind of cool projects that are be going to go on. So how do you guys make this happen? Like what, what, and what will people be experiencing, you know, maybe as 
they come in and drop in on this? Yeah, so we actually have multiple level workshops. Uh, we have kids workshops for kids from age six um, to fourteen. Um, we have uh, code your own video game. We have make your own movie with three D and um, mixed reality, and we have STEM workshops um, doing three D. Um, visuals for with soccer games um and then for adults we have um professional suites um services so that they learn how to do things like put their resumes together with words uh, put presentation together with powerpoints um things like you know managing your emails and and your notes through um through power like microsoft uh, office suites. Um, but the best part about this whole project is that we have uh, open lab hours and we have mentors who work, um, who are in the visual effects industry. People who worked on things like Avengers, um, Star Wars, Star Trek, um, San Andreas. So like really big movies and games. And they're going to be around to help um, people who drop in who want to work on their projects after workshops or something they learned or just bring in their hobby project and just be able to ask the professionals like how do you do this but I think the best part for this is having the kids meet people that have done movies or games they've touched um, I think that bit of being able to meet someone who've done something they uh, are obsessed about, like the Avenger, I think that's like a powerful source of inspiration. Well, maybe I kind of alluded to it at the top here, but I mean, is the goal ultimately to maybe inspire some of these young people to think about some of the tech opportunities there are in the city? Yeah, 100%. I mean, Vancouver is probably one of the biggest powerhouse when it comes to visual effects. You know, a lot of people say that we're Hollywood North. So why not tap into that, you know, powerhouse and, and kind of um, use them and, and get them to inspire the next generation, right? And so then tell me, uh, we've got the focus on the kids. It's going to be a bit of a different thing for maybe some of the adults coming in, like maybe a lot of some of the more basic things that they need to, uh, I guess, get up-trained on to a certain degree. Yeah. So some of the, so Vancouver Computer Graphic Association themselves have workshops for, you know, professionals um, that just have graduated from, say, Emily Carr or Vancouver Film School. They have like very informal workshops that are for free, um, taught by professionals in different studios around Vancouver. Um, and then the other big part about the project we have, too, is that we have open source projects so people can work on a short film together. We have, I think, three different projects going on where people from the community can hop in into a project, start working on things, be mentored by some of the professionals. Um, or if you're just new to the industry, you can just start by participating by, you know, drawing some stuff and, you know, just sitting around and just watching how people get to work and see if that's like what you really want to do. You know, I'm realizing I should have asked you like a, a basic question up at the front, but for anybody who's not familiar with Chinatown House, tell me a little bit about what it is and why you guys are interested in facilitating something like this. Yeah, so um, Chinatown is an alliance of um, entrepreneurs, nonprofits, uh, associations, um, urban designers, um, heritage uh, curators. So we're an alliance of people that are multidisciplinary. We're um, intercultural um, and we're intergenerational. So it's, it's a place where um, we have the shared vision of 
um, creating an accessible, sustainable, and vibrant Chinatown. And so for us being in this neighborhood where you have a really large number of new immigrants, um, we're also adjacent to um, Hastings and, and Strathcona um, and Railtown. And in the area where there's, um, you know, pre- prevalent poverty and people might not be able to access the technology. And so I think creating access is really important for us, um, just creating it and letting people decide if this is something they want to try out. Um, so, and especially when we have that kind of talents and skills in Chinatown, like in our space, um, we thought it would be great to just open it up and share with the community and create um, this sort of um, the sense of neighborhood. You know, I, I think back to my childhood and, you know, technology was essentially programming your VCR. <laughs> is, is it more of kind of a, a natural access point, a natural way of coming together in a way that it didn't have to be maybe 20 years ago? Yeah, I think right now, because, you know, even kids these days, they have access to, you know, video game and YouTube and, you know, they're watching movies. And I think it's a, it's a natural access point in that, they they're, they see it every single day. They touch it every single day. So it's almost like um, teaching a new language. And also for us, I, I think for us, I think we want to be able to show um, to show them how things are made because a lot of people consume things, but we want them to be able to create things and, and be part of the process. Um, I think there's deep concern about how technology ha- is exploiting us because we don't quite know how it works. So this is sort of us opening the box and says, you know, the video games you've played, this is how it's made. The the effects you've seen in these incredible movies like Avengers and all these like um explosions and and these incredible characters this is how it's made and and just bring it back to a very basic level so that they understand what they see and what they consume so let's say somebody's interested in this yeah. uh when should they begin i mean dropping in and where should they be going exactly to uh, experience this yeah so it's all the programs are completely free um, you can just go to chinatownhouse.ca, um, take a look at the workshops you're interested in, and sign up for it. Excellent. Mina, thank you so much. No, thank you. That's Mina Van. She's Executive Director of Chinatown House, and that's it for today. We'll be back tomorrow. For now, you can find our archives on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. And share with your friends. It's going to help even more people find us going forward. For now, I'm Tyler Orton. Thanks for listening. <laughs>